0: everybody it is friday may 3rd 2019 and you're listening to an episode of the salvage title podcast as always i'm your host Brad Azelay and uh if you can't tell by the way that we're starting the show we're kind of kind of work on a slightly different format uh going forward i've been gone for a couple of weeks uh i've had a lot of stuff going on in my personal life uh specifically regarding my job and uh as such it became Increasingly difficult to put together a podcast. Even the 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 scrap story episodes uh, became quite a bit more difficult to do, and for that I apologize not being transparent about it and uh, reaching out to people who normally listen on a pretty frequent basis. So we're going to kind of work on a different way of doing the show and hopefully make it uh, just as informative and interesting to listen to, but also uh, a little bit more easy to record going forward. So uh, bear with me as we continue to work on this podcast uh, being, I don't know, a thing. Nevertheless, guys, I hope you had a fantastic previous couple of weeks. Uh, Spring has sprung here in Michigan. Uh, We're pretty much into summer mode, uh, where I work out in Holland, out on the lake. Uh, It's scary to think about, but tulip time begins tomorrow in Holland, Michigan, and uh, well, My mind, body, and soul is not prepared quite yet. So, uh, yeah, I figured today we'll kind of talk a little bit about a few things going on in my life uh, regarding cars. Uh, We'll talk about uh, some shopping things that are happening uh, specifically related to cars. And uh, then we'll talk about some news stories uh, from the past uh, week or so that I think are uh, interesting and worth touching on uh, that maybe uh, deserve a few more thoughts than what have been put out online. So... To kick things off, we'll talk a little bit about what's been going on with me. Just recently, re- uh, did a repair on my car last week, uh, about $1,300 worth of suspension repairs, uh, on my little Fiesta. Now, uh, it's important to note that my Fiesta, while it is a 2011 model, only has just over 100,000 miles on the clock. Uh, I've owned the car since the spring of 2016, uh, so I've had it just over three years actually, and, uh overall, you know, I've been pleased as punch with this car. I've said it on this podcast many times before. Uh, it really is a very reliable vehicle. It is comfortable and fuel efficient and, you know, relatively quiet. Uh, surprisingly, these were built fairly well, uh, given the weird way that It went from being built in the UK to at least the North American models being built in Mexico. Uh, You know, it's held up quite well, I would say. A few squeaks and rattles here and there, um, but, you know, that's to be expected with an American car. Uh, Nevertheless, you know, $1,300 of suspension repair is a really good indication of how bad the roads are here in Michigan. Uh, I, for a long time, I was commuting strictly from Grand Rapids to Holland, and uh, 196, if you've never been out here, is uh, this really frequently used road that connects uh, West Michigan to the Chicagoland area, and... uh, The areas, you know, closest to Lakeshore, we get a lot of snow, we use a lot of salt on the roads. Uh, It just becomes a nightmare of potholes, divots, dugouts, so many other things that, uh, you know, no car is safe uh, from this. There was an incident... uh, a little over two years ago now, where the roads were so bad that uh, five or six different vehicles all, like, blew out their tires on the highway, and they had to shut the highway down because the traffic jam caused by it was so bad, and that's when they knew that uh, these repairs need to be done. So, they fixed the worst part of the roads, uh, but there's still significant stretches of this highway that need to be repaired, and they're starting to work on that now, which of course means... Yet again, uh the highways closed until the end of August, early September, and uh it's not exactly the funnest thing in the world. So you know, hey, uh I'm after spending the 1300 dollars to fix the suspension, uh I'm realizing more and more that uh this Fiesta is gonna be in my life for probably a good bit longer. Uh my repair guy even touched on a few other things that I might need my attention soon, including uh new front rotors, uh new front pads and uh, potentially new shoes on the rear drum brakes. That's going to be a couple hundred dollar repair, probably north of 800 bucks. And then uh, there's some tune-up stuff that might need to be checked out. The good news is the tune-up stuff I can likely do myself, uh, since these Fiestas were made to be repaired fairly easily at home. Uh, But we will see how deep we get into that in the not-too-distant future. As far as other personal car news. It's not exactly 100% personal, but nevertheless is something that I see in my everyday life, and that is uh, my significant other's 2015 Jeep Renegade. Uh, We've touched on this particular vehicle on the show many times uh, and how it is currently a lease vehicle and that the clock is ticking on that lease. Uh, That lease, if I remember correctly, is up in September, uh, I think it's not too long after Labor Day weekend is when uh, it was originally released or released back in 2015, and uh, you know we've had a lot of ups and downs with this vehicle. Uh, it's it's one of those Jeeps that I think I kind of understand the quote-unquote Jeep thing a little bit. Uh, it is a supremely capable vehicle when it comes to inclement weather. It really does uh, give you this sense of you know relative safety and capability that I think a lot of other uh, crossovers might not necessarily be able to give you, while at the same time still having plenty of design and engineering drawbacks that only a Fiat Chrysler vehicle can give you. Uh, Yeah, you know, I I, I go back and forth on this thing. I I love, 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 love the four-wheel drive system in this car. Uh, It is really, really good at getting you out of rough spots and many other things. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, but the drawbacks when it comes to overall interior quality, uh, the rather terrible uh, NVH in this car that it surely has a lot to do with the square shape of the vehicle, um, you know, it's stuff where I don't feel like it's worth getting another Renegade at the very least. Uh, so we're looking at our options on returning the Jeep uh, to Jeep and possibly picking up another Jeep. But that in and of itself is a huge mess of what you want versus what you need, what's available and what's not. And we'll talk about some FCA-related stuff uh, when it comes to vehicle sales here in a little bit, uh, but the the gist right now is that if we bring this Jeep back to the Jeep dealer, what vehicle are they going to try to put a... Sh- push us into. Uh, it's very clear that the Compass is a vehicle that Jeep has built a lot of, uh, and they do have a lot of them, and it is meant to be the next step up from the Renegade uh, with for only a small increase in cost. But then they have the Cherokee, which the Compass has now been eating into sales-wise, um, but they overlap in a way where I would say the difference between the Compass and the Cherokee is almost negligible. Uh, it really comes down to how much space do you want behind the rear seats for cargo. Uh, the Compass actually wins out in that argument, which is very strange, uh, versus how much space do you want behind the front seats, uh, for passengers, with which the Cherokee wins out in that regard. Uh, fuel economy is almost exactly the same. Overall dimensions of the interior are almost exactly the same, uh, its its standard features are very similar and yet very different uh at least in terms of price and availability and so much other things so mm, it makes it a tough decision you know in my heart of hearts if it's my money i feel like i might go with the cherokee over the compass uh but when it comes to everyday usability the more car-like features of the compass i think i like that maybe perhaps a little bit better but uh We'll have to drive them back-to-back. Now, the big wrench that I want to throw into this entire scenario is, of course, the Hyundai Santa Fe. Uh, The Santa Fe just recently got refreshed for 2019. Uh, Hyundai has sold quite a few of them, and uh, they're looking to sell quite a few more. And as such, they're dumping pretty big incentives on the Santa Fe right now here in West Michigan. And uh, with the much greater list of standard features a similarly capable four-wheel drive system. Uh I really do feel like it might be the superior option specifically in regard to the Cherokee. Uh but uh we'll see. We'll we'll have to see where things go cuz right now we don't even know if we're even going to lease again. We might just end up getting something used. So uh we'll kind of keep you posted as we continue to shop. It's been fun to look Uh, I know we did consider the Hyundai Ioniq at one point. Uh, It is a vehicle that I personally really, really liked, and we'll touch on the Ioniq here in a little bit. Uh, But uh, I think after this winter, after, you know, being reminded again of the bad weather that can happen in long spurts at a time, uh, it's important that one of the two of us has a more capable vehicle, and I think right now it's becoming uh, the SO that is going to have the... The SUV with four wheel drive, or I might have the car that's more fuel efficient uh, and a little bit better for uh, long distance commutes uh, in the spring, summer, and early fall time. So we shall see what happens. But anyway, guys, that's what's going on with me and my personal automotive life. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, 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 we're getting there, I guess is the way to say it, uh, moving into summer. It's crazy to think that it's already May. It's crazy to think that, uh, it's traditionally the big car season. You know, we 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 had some pretty big rainstorms come through. You know, it's it's been a been a thing. So yeah. Anyway, we're gonna take a quick little break, and after the bump, uh, we're gonna talk a bit about some car news. Well, guys, kicking things off in the news segment, I wanted to begin things with Volkswagen. Uh, Motor One had an article published today, and Jalapnik picked it up and talked about it a little bit, uh, about the Volkswagen Golf, the next-generation Volkswagen Golf. Uh, Apparently, according to Motor One, they talked to somebody who works for Volkswagen of North America, and they are implying that the next-generation Golf won't be coming to the U.S. as a Golf Golf, but instead only as the GTI and the Golf R. Uh, The primary reason, according to Volkswagen, or at least this guy who works for Volkswagen, is that uh, nearly 50% of all Golf sales in the U.S. are either a GTI or a Golf R, and that going forward, with a continued push towards crossovers and SUVs and Uh, you know, the long-standing tradition of the Jetta being the better-selling of the two compact cars here in the U.S., uh, that they just don't think it's worth bringing the car over uh, in any normal trim capacity. And, uh, you know, at least in terms of the numbers, at least in terms of quote-unquote science— Uh, I think they've got a good case to make, uh, but it is a very disappointing one, uh, simply because the Golf has always been, you know, the standard, I think, for compact cars, to some extent. Maybe not in every extent, uh, but the Golf has always had a long-standing place at or near the top, uh, at least in terms of looks. They've always looked great. Uh, They've always at least felt great initially. Uh, They drive really, really well. Um, But it's been the reliability, dependability, uh, overall resale value, uh, driving costs, insurance costs, so much more that have kind of kept them out of that top spot uh, behind the Civic and the uh, Corolla for many, many people. Uh, You know, without... Getting too much into speculation, I think there's also the pretty good chance that the Golf will likely be replaced by some kind of ID car. uh, That's their electric car uh, in the not-too-distant future. So I also shouldn't be too surprised with that there. Um, But I really do think this is a disappointing yet understanding decision from Volkswagen. Uh, Now, Volkswagen, of course, hasn't said anything officially. uh, So definitely take what Motor One is saying with a gigantic grain of salt, perhaps the size of a small dog here, Um, but uh, I think in the long run, I think more than likely, uh, this story may end up proving to be true. One of the other interesting stories that also came out today is that Ford is talking about V8 production uh, at their engine plants going forward. Uh, Ford, for a long time, has had a maybe not necessarily a class-leading V8, but one of the better V8s out on the market uh, with the Coyote 5-liter V8. Uh, That engine debuted, I think it was 2011, in the Mustang GT. That same engine ended up making its way into the F-150. And some of the larger crossovers are, I guess they're technically SUVs for uh, Ford and Lincoln as well. Now, the Coyote V8 was pretty phenomenal in that it was the return to the 5-liter displacement, and it fixed a lot of the issues with the modular V8, where the modular was really quite heavy, comparably underpowered compared to any of the LS engines from GM, and just didn't add the performance necessary to make the Mustang the icon that it deserved to be uh, in the modern era, now, as technology has continued to change and demands for fuel economy and power delivery uh, have begun to change with it, uh, Ford is saying that they're going to be building a lot fewer V8s uh, in the coming years simply because buyers aren't opting for V8s in their pickup trucks anymore. Uh, When you look at strictly the performance numbers, uh, any of the data sheets, any of the sales numbers, you're seeing that, at least in terms of the F-150 and the larger SUVs of the Ford product portfolio, almost all of the engine boxes being checked by customers and by dealers have been the EcoBoost engines. Uh, those EcoBoosts now rate down to, I think it's like, what, the smallest is 2.7 liters, I think, V6 on up to 3.5 or 4 liter twin-turbocharged V6s. Uh, these V6s are making fantastic power figures. Uh, they've proven to be quite reliable in the past decade or so of service. Uh, fuel economy, eh, all over the board. Uh, it's one of those things where I think a lot of customers go, hey, this performs like a V8, hey, this does whatever, Not realizing that, you know, once you put this engine into boost, it's going to start guzzling gas like a V8. Uh, But when it's out of boost, you know, it's relatively fuel efficient. Uh, So, at least in terms of the F-150, you know, I wouldn't be surprised even to see in the next year or two uh, that Ford drops the V8 altogether in the F-150 because, honestly least in terms of me if I was buying an F150 tomorrow I don't think I would select the V8 option uh, it just doesn't seem to make that much sense anymore uh, but at least for the Mustang however uh, that will be the probably sole vehicle keeping the v8 alive at Ford for the foreseeable future and whenever there is a next generation Mustang coming out uh, again I would not be surprised to see if Ford drops the V8 altogether uh, going forward. Whether or not this spells doom and gloom for the V8 altogether in the American car company lexicon, uh, I have my doubts. I think GM is likely going to cling to their uh, V8s for as long as possible. The small black Chevy is legendary when it comes to performance and dependability. Uh, they are shockingly fuel efficient somehow, some way. Uh, I'm still blown away by the fuel economy figures that my dad can get with his old Avalanche generations-old technology, older platform V8, everything. That thing can still pull, you know, 21, 23-plus miles per gallon out of the highway. And with a truck that size, that's really phenomenal. Uh, The Corvette, of course, might be switching off of that technology a little bit. So, again, we'll see if the tech leader begins to kind of move things there. Fiat Chrysler seems to have no push to get out of the V8 game Anytime soon, with the Hemi engine still going strong, uh, I don't see any reason why they should. So Ford, again, might be leading the way with some major changes, but uh, I think GM and Fiat are going to kind of be steady as she goes, at least for the next couple of years. One of the other interesting things, at least regarding Fiat Chrysler, and we kind of talked about it earlier on on the show, is that sales for Fiat Chrysler uh, haven't exactly been as good as what everybody thought. Uh, Fiat Chrysler is the last American automotive company uh, that does publish monthly automobile sales. Uh, Ford and GM moved to quarterly updates, uh, I believe it was last year. Uh, Fiat Chrysler had, mm, by all sense of measure, an okay April, uh, they were driven mostly by their Ram pickup truck sales, which were up, I think it was like 13%. I might be getting that number wrong in my head as I picture that article in my brain, Uh, but it was Jeep sales that were down 9% compared to last year after having a very strong year uh, that has a lot of people concerned Uh, There was a story in the Detroit Free Press earlier this week that talked about uh, the high volume of vehicles sitting on dealer lots and how these vehicles are getting stored in more and more and more places uh, because so many car companies are just churning vehicles out as fast as they can not having orders or demand for these vehicles uh, in the marketplace. So Jeep dealers are saying that uh, they were being forced to order the Compass in order to get uh, the Jeep Gladiator. Uh, these same dealers that also carry Ram pickup trucks were being forced to order Rams in order to get Jeep Gladiators or something along those lines. They basically, what a lot of times they do, at least with Fiat Chryslers, they incentivize dealers to order things they may not need so that they can get things that they want in the future. Uh, But at least in my conversation with people who work at Fiat Chrysler dealerships here in West Michigan, uh, the simple fact of the matter is that Fiat basically sends you whatever they want. Uh, You don't get a choice in the matter. Uh, And dealers, at least in the Detroit area of Michigan, have hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of compasses, rams, and other vehicles built up that literally nobody wants right now. And it's gonna be a bubble that pops, Uh, and whether or not, you know, we're gonna feel it right now or feel it later, it's hard to say. Um, You know, again, on the whole, Fiat Chrysler is doing okay. They're doing pretty good by all sense of measures, Uh, but if Jeep, their brand that drives profitability and has been their shining star outside of Ferrari for the last couple of years, uh, isn't turning the profitability the way that they should, and the vehicle sales aren't doing as well as they should, uh, that is a little bit concerning. And it's been kind of interesting to see, at least in terms of the local incentives on Jeeps uh, right now, just to see how those things are going. Now, we talked about how Uh, We might be turning in our Jeep Renegade uh, for a new Jeep in the not-too-distant future. Uh, That Jeep Renegade, you know, could be swapped out with a Compass, could be swapped out with a Cherokee. Last month, uh, there were some pretty huge incentives on both the Cherokee and Compass. Uh, The Cherokee, I believe, had the stronger set of incentives, at least initially, The Compass now, or sorry, it was the Compass then, now the Cherokee has the greater number of incentives, uh, but I think that's likely going to change as we get further into the month of May, um, when that story broke about the number of Compasses sitting on dealer lots in Detroit, uh, I just went WTF, you know, why did these incentives dry up here but not over there, I mean, inventory moves around a lot, there's a lot of weird in and outs to how dealerships operate, um, but, uh, It's just a little weird, so definitely worth keeping an eye on Fiat Chrysler sales for a little while. And then one thing I wanted to uh, kind of talk about, at least in terms of Fiat Chrysler sales, is you know the lack of options in their field. Uh, I I continue to hammer on the fact that Fiat Chrysler does not have a significantly green vehicle option in their lineup outside of the Pacifica hybrid. And, you know, that Pacifica plug-in hybrid really only caters to a small section of vehicle buyers. You know, there are a lot of people who are looking for a car or a family sedan, and you really don't have that option uh, from Chrysler, from Jeep, from Ram, from Dodge, uh, really at all. And uh, I think, you know, maybe not in the immediate future, but I think long term, we're definitely going to have to consider whether or not that really hurt their sales at least now uh versus where they've been in the past you know there's only so much demand that can be happening for crossovers and SUVs and with gasoline uh, steadily on a slow rise uh whether or not that demand will stay there for crossovers and SUVs uh specifically you know for ones that are non-hybrid options uh that should be an interesting thing to see going forward so we'll kind of keep an eye on it we'll keep you in touch uh if anything interesting pops up after that. Sticking with American automakers a little bit more, uh, the Chevy Camaro has been an interesting vehicle over the past year or so uh, as we continue to move into the 6th generation uh, Camaro model. Now, the 2019 Camaro received a pretty significant style refresh uh, this current model year, and uh, a lot of people did not like the changes that Chevrolet made. Uh, If you haven't seen one in person... Um, well, it's mostly based on a design test that was done for, uh, I think it was the fourth Transformers movie. Um, the Camaro got much curvier and I got this more, I would argue, more of a truck-like front fascia compared to the outgoing and previous Camaros that I don't really think worked particularly well, but I think it was also a overall design that I think looks better in person, uh, not so good in photos. Well, GM has heard enough complaints about the Camaro, and specifically the Camaro SS, which used this black bar that went across the grille to give this car this gaping maw appearance, and uh, they are changing the car as an emergency refresh for 2020. Uh, That front fascia gets a now-colored bar that goes back across it, just like the previous Camaros of the earlier models in the sixth generation, and uh, overall... Things improve slightly. You know, I don't think it saves the car from being ugly. Uh, The front end still has a lot of issues. Uh, You know, I would still say the front end is messy at the very least. Um, But GM's doing what they can, and I suppose that's good. It sounds like Camaro fans really do like the changes, um, but it's the people who don't really care for the Camaro to begin with who uh, aren't still super pleased. And I guess they probably never, ever will be. One other interesting Camaro note to kind of talk about is that GM is introducing a new Camaro trim option called the LT1 package. Now, LT1, of course, is in reference to the LT1 V8 that's offered in the car. Uh, this is a new V8 option that's going to be going into the Camaro that slots between uh, the V6 and the SS trim levels. Uh, this LT1 package is going to be a cheaper uh, V8 option. I think it starts like around like $33,000, somewhere around there. Uh, and it is more affordable than the Ford Mustang GT. Previously, the Mustang GT was the cheapest V8-optioned uh, pony car that you could get. I think they started right around $34,000, $35,000, uh, so the Chevy is undercutting it a bit. You do lose some of the performance upgrades that the SS brings along, uh, but it sounds like, uh, you know, the Camaro's still going to be pretty capable compared to most people, especially with a 400-plus horsepower V8. Uh, I think it's going to be enough. If anything, this trim package kind of reminds me of the old Firebird formula uh, that used to be able to get back in the uh, 80s and 90s into the early aughts. Uh, More or less, the Firebird formula was the base trim looking model, but it had the Trans Am V8. So, it had a lot of the go-fast capabilities, uh, at least in terms of a straight line, at least in terms of, you know, doing pulls down the highway, Um, but it didn't have a lot of the handling uh, extras added to it. So, it kind of made it an interesting vehicle to people like me who maybe aren't looking to go flying through corners and handle every single racetrack out there in the world, uh, but, uh, you know, at least gave you that V8 uh, feel and performance that I think most people just want to begin with on the Camaro. And I think that's probably the biggest mistake that GM made is they went, you know, the SS is this performance pinnacle, this this crazy track machine. It can, It's capable of doing all these things, forgetting, of course, that most people who buy these cars... Never take them above 70 or 80 miles an hour. And they're just here to cruise in them. And, you know, with... They're getting older, I guess, is a good way to put this. And, you know, stiffer cars are going to give you more back problems and other things. And uh it's just the way it goes, I guess. So good on you, GM, for doing this. I wish you would bring back the Berlinetta model. I think that maybe is the next trim choice uh, that I would have. I have a big soft spot in my heart for the old... Uh, Berlinettas from the 80s that were meant to be like this tech, luxury-type package, and I think something along those lines uh, could definitely be a successful add-on eventually, maybe, Um, but where you slot that in the Camaro lineup, uh, that's that's up to GM's marketing department. So the last bit of news, and like I said, I would touch on the Hyundai Ioniq, is uh, some pretty significant updates coming to the Hyundai Ioniq for the 2020 model year. Uh, if you aren't super familiar with the Hyundai Ioniq, more or less, uh, it's a significant uh, hybrid, plug-in hybrid, and electric vehicle uh, rollout from Hyundai that happened back in, I think, 2012 or 2013 was the first year. And what was novel about the car is it was Hyundai's first attempt at making uh, a multi-vehicle uh, platform that's meant to be green and catered to many different markets all across the world. Uh, Hyundai, I think, had a pretty significant rollout of this vehicle. Uh, they had a great launch, a lot of really good technology. And really, I think the only things that limited this car in the marketplace was Hyundai's ability to build them. Uh, the electric cars and the plug-in cars uh, were only sold in certain states here in the US, but as much as the hybrid was available just about everywhere, uh, the hybrid was always overshadowed uh, by the Prius and the Toyota Prius Prime. Uh, and this new update to the ionic is hoping to change a lot of that, so starting at least with the electric vehicle uh they're increasing the battery capacity from I think it's the high twenties, I think it's just under twenty nine kilowatt hours to just short or just over thirty eight kilowatt hours uh, with that bigger battery uh, overall electric range increases from one hundred and twenty four miles to about one hundred and sixty on the EPA cycle uh, the European test cycle puts it as high as one hundred and eighty three miles that definitely won't be the case for that car in particular um, but it is a pretty good performance increase for the car overall when you consider that it is one of the most affordable electric cars that you can buy on the market today. Uh, when you also consider that the Hyundai Ioniq has a lot more standard equipment than a comparable Prius or many of their other vehicles uh, out there that kind of cater in that market, you know, I'm thinking of the uh, the Nissan Leaf, I'm thinking of uh, the Fiat 500e, so on and so forth, uh, the, Ion- the Ioniq really makes a really good case for itself. Uh, at least in terms of overall usability uh, and overall range, which, you know, again, we can't get it in here in Michigan. But if you live in California, Oregon, or Washington, I think this is a really good car. One of the other things that helps the electric version uh, be a much better day-to-day vehicle is that they are changing the charge rate on the car. Uh, The car is jumping from a 6.6 kilowatt-hour charger to a 7.2 kilowatt-hour charger. And with a DC fast charge, It'll go from 0 to 80% in just under an hour overall. Uh, Those are pretty good EV charge rates, I would say, Uh, and again, makes it a very compelling EV choice if you are in a part of the country where you can get one. Uh, Other changes to the car, you know, are happening across the board. It sounds like the electric motors in these cars are getting a little bit of a boost in overall output. Obviously, the EV is getting a little bit more power uh, versus the plug-in hybrid and standard hybrid. Uh, It also sounded like, if I remember reading one of the articles, the plug-in hybrid is getting a slight boost in uh, overall battery capacity, uh, whereas the standard hybrid is going relatively unchanged. But both of those cars are getting this significant style and uh, technology increases that the hybrid and electric vehicles are getting. Uh, with some new front fascias, new styling on the side, and much better interior appointments. Uh, more or less, Hyundai's upgrading the Ionic to the new standard uh, infotainment systems and other things that the flashiest Hyundai and Kia models have. So that'll be the new 10.25 inch horizontal touchscreen. Uh, it's actually a two screen system. Uh, it looks absolutely fantastic in the Kia Telluride and the Hyundai Palisade. It looks incredible in the new Ionic. Uh, it's getting new seating services, new softer touch materials, some changes to the dials and other things uh, that just bring it more in line with the new cars like the new Sonata uh, that are rolling out here in the not too distant future. Uh, once again, I would definitely say that, uh, you know, the Ionic I think is one of the most interesting hybrids on the market today. Uh, at least strictly compared to the Prius, I think it is a better choice than the standard Prius, where things start getting a little more contentious are with the plug-in models. Uh, the new Prius Prime has got a new five-seat interior layout now uh, that makes it a much more uh, day-to-day, family-friendly vehicle. But the Hyundai still has better standard equipment, and I think that's going to be the big uh, win for Hyundai uh, going forward. Uh, but it's the electric model that I think still deserves the greatest amount of attention, uh, attention even though we can't get it here in Michigan. So, uh, that just about wraps up all of the news, and after the bump, we'll just, uh, say a few more words about the podcast and, uh, get y'all out of here. See ya in just a moment. All right, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brett like and, well, uh, we normally have other versions of this show. I'm not entirely sure how we're going to do that going forward. Uh, I definitely do feel like I need to do another updated version of one of the Salvage Title Car Buyer's Guides. Uh, I think the compact SUV game definitely is worth looking at. Again, uh, there's so many different changes and choices within that marketplace that uh, it's tough to keep up with. So, There might be some interesting things to kind of touch on there. I also think it might be interesting to kind of touch on some of the changes going on in the compact and subcompact car games as well. So, potentially future versions of that uh, coming down the pipe. Uh, But whether or not we keep doing uh, scrap stories in the main show, kind of up in the air at this point. So, If uh, things kind of continue the way that I potentially want them to go, I think I'm just going to kind of do shows when I feel like it, when there's a story worth talking about, uh, when things are going on. Uh, Continuing to promise the Tuesday and Friday thing has just gotten too difficult uh, with my work and life schedule right now. Uh, That might go back to quote-unquote normal in the fall and winter uh, when I've got a whole heck of a lot more time to do things. So apologies in advance about that. As far as other things going on, well, uh, like I said, it's tulip time here in West Michigan, which means that for the next two weeks, uh, things are going to get pretty wild out on the lakeshore. And then next thing you know, school's done for the kids, and it's full-on summertime. So uh, if you're in an area that's getting nice soon, I hope you are enjoying it. I hope you're using that time to uh, do things you weren't able to do when the weather kind of stunk for a while there. So Anyway guys, I hope you have a fantastic start to your weekend, and I will hope to see you next week on the Salvage Title Podcast. See you next time.